0: Hello, my name is Dave and I have the pleasure today of introducing our preacher before Jesse Forna reads scripture and then she comes up. Usually when we introduce a preacher, we say lots of things about what they've done, but every once in a while, you get the real privilege of introducing uh, not what someone's done, but who somebody is. Uh, Reverend Amber Livermore was a student here. When I came here in my first year of teaching, 2006 and 7. she was in her last year as a student here. And in my class, she started studying one of the figures of Wesleyan Church history. This picture hangs in the wall of Christian Ministries building. We called her the Mother Teresa of the Wesleyan Church. And Amber's heart was broken open anew for missions in that moment. In the latter half of the course, we decided to try to be Wesleyan instead of studying what it meant to be Wesleyan, and so the class decided on a project, and Amber was a key leader in that, to try to raise awareness for human trafficking on campus, particularly sex trafficking. At the time, nobody was talking about that. It had never been mentioned in chapel. Doulos was not addressing it. It wasn't even on their radar screen. Those students spent the rest of the semester raising awareness here, selling T-shirts, raising $3,000 to give to the aid of uh, survivors of human trafficking. It became a regular day for us on campus. It became a regular fixture in the Dulas platform, and Amber was the key leader for that. She blew me away then. And she continues to blow me away now. She left Indiana Wesleyan to follow that impulse towards missions, went to New Zealand and became the most active missionary I've ever had the privilege of supporting. Drove cars literally into the ground all over the country, reaching people for Christ in very culturally appropriate ways in such a diverse place. While she was there, she became a pastor to pastors, a leader of leaders, And felt a call to return back here to the United States to help other people catch this fire for missions. She's now a senior pastor at a church in Princeton, Indiana. And just 10 years later, she gets to come home and share her heart that is of fire. Not just on fire, by the way. When your heart is on fire, it can go out. Her heart seems to be of fire. And I think she is a life that is a living word. If we could just hear her life, we wouldn't need her sermon. We'd be ready to respond. So I hope as we get ready to read scripture and as we light the candle as a symbol of our hearts, hopefully becoming of fire, that you will start opening your hearts right now to the presence of the Holy Spirit so that he can speak to you as we read scripture. Hi, my name is Jesse. Um, I am originally from Sierra Leone. Thank you. Um, I'll be reading scripture um, in the language that's dear to my heart, Sierra Leone and Creole. Um, that's uh, a country in West Africa. Um, Jeremiah 29. If I make up say, I not go talk about time again, but talk about in name again, something day inside me heart, with turn like fire inside me bone them. And I tire for all I'm say, for all I'm inside. And I'm not able to keep them again. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you.
1: It was 2012 and I found myself sitting in a cold, crowded church hall of an immigrant congregation in the very multicultural nation of New Zealand. I was an extremely rookie missionary at this point. I was totally a color of green. You could see it on me and I was sitting in this cold crowded hall where we were about to share a meal together. I was intending to share an entire weekend with this congregation, the majority of those over the age of 40 for whom English was not their first language and for some who couldn't even speak it. I was there to share the word, particularly with the younger generation for whom English was their heart language. And as we sat down to have this meal, the food had been blessed, And I picked up my fork that was beside my plate and began to eat. And we all know that noise that a metal fork makes when it hits a plate, that dinging, clanging sound. And in this room filled with people, I should have heard lots of the clanging of forks on plates. But I began to realize I only heard one, and it was mine. I began to look around and realize that everyone else in the room was eating their meal with their hands I had the only fork in the hall. I had two dual realizations in that moment. The first was that the meal that had been placed in front of me was quite similar to the meal of fried chicken and french fries in my family growing up. It was the finger licking too good meal for which utensils just slow you down. And so it was traditional to eat it with your hands. I had the second realization that while someone in their kindness had recognized that this very foreign food to me might be made a little bit more comfortable if I had the familiarity of a fork in my hand, this fork was not just slowing me down and eating the finger-licking goodness. It was also slowing me down in connecting with and sharing the word and my life with the people to whom God had called me. It was an unnecessary barrier. And in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me probably more clearly than I ever had in my life. And he said four words Drop the fork, Amber. And I did. I laid the fork down and I dug in and began to eat. And there were some looks of approval around that crowded hall but that moment was much more significant for me than it was for anyone else in the room. It became an important symbol for me. It actually became a mantra for me, first as a missionary, but now simply as a missional follower of Jesus. Drop the fork. I have to drop the fork daily if I want my heart to be a heart of fire to share the word with those who need to hear it. It's come to mean for me this definition, if you will. Drop the fork means leave behind any familiar comforts, agendas, possessions, mindsets, or ways of life which slow me down from sharing the message of Jesus with the world. The Samaritan woman in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John demonstrated what it looked like to be willing to drop the fork that her heart might be made of fire to share the news of Jesus with her people. I wonder after this week of considering what it is to have a heart of fire, do you share her willingness? Let's look at the story in John chapter four. Starting in verse 25, and this remote has stopped working. There it goes, thank you. Um, Starting in verse 25 of chapter 4, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. His, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Friends, hearts of fire willingly leave behind and go for the sake of God's mission in his world. Jesus tells this woman after a lengthy conversation that includes everything from where is it meant for people to worship God, to her slightly shameful past of multiple marriages that have failed for unknown reasons, and a man she is now with who is not her husband. And after this lengthy conversation, the woman defaults to, well, when the Messiah comes, He will answer all of our questions. He'll tell us everything that we need to know. Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. I am the one for whom you are waiting. I am the answer to all of your questions and the questions of your people. I will be the perfect Moses, who will be the bridge between you and the God, your Father, Creator, the God of the patriarchs. And when the woman realizes who Jesus is, she cannot, will not, hold it in. I love how this reads, that she leaves behind the jug that she has brought with her to draw water. She leaves behind the agenda of her day. The agenda of that moment on her schedule is sacrificed because it would slow her down. Literally, the Greek tells us that she goes. I love that the New Living Translation just reads the implication. She left that jug behind because she ran. She ran back so that she could tell her people of the Messiah. She models after Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate example of a heart of fire. He had left Judea for Galilee. The text says that he had to go through Samaria. Scholars debate what does that mean? Is it geographic? Is it missional? I believe in the context of the Gospel of John, Jesus had to go because his mission depended on it. It was important that this woman know who he is, that she share it with her people, and it was also important that his disciples witness everything that is about to happen. Jesus' entire life was about dropping the fork. His human existence was about dropping the fork. In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it reads this way. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The eternally divine Son left everything behind that could be a barrier between him And you. And he went, he came to you so that you might hear and experience the living word that burned in his human heart, that you might know him. And his heart of fire burned for this woman. His heart of fire burned for all people of the world. Just like this woman, the disciples who enter the scene at the end of this conversation, they had left everything behind to follow Jesus. Nets, boats, tax collectors' booths, they had left it all to go. But Jesus had more to teach them in this scene about what it would mean for them to continue to live a life of costly faith, of deciding daily to drop the fork, So we read on in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, while the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Hearts of fire find nourishment through sacrificial, obedient action in fulfillment of God's mission in the world. For Jesus, the food of obedience took priority over the food of the body. They had been traveling. His body was weak. He stopped at the well because he was thirsty. It's implied in the text that he had sent the disciples to bring him food. But when they bring it to him, he says, I have a food that you don't know about. Obedience to the mission. No matter the cost, fulfillment of his salvific mission took priority over personal comfort. And my friends today, Jesus had to know that this food would satisfy for him to endure the suffering and death of the cross, to place the mission above his own comfort, above his own suffering. He shares with them, I eat the food of doing what God has sent me to do so that all people might know me as the living word. I've been reading this book called Hearts of Fire. Maybe you've heard about it this week. If you don't already own it, you're going to get a chance to again today. I want you to pick it up, read it. I told somebody this morning, I've been reading it at the gym while I'm on a treadmill and people at the gym probably think I am insane because I'm on the treadmill weeping as I read these stories of women and their costly faith in the underground church. And friends, I believe this morning that those women understand the taste of the food that Jesus is. taught about to a degree that I do not yet. Because one day I may need to know fully the taste of that food of sacrificial obedience. I think of the story of Ling in China when Ling was 17 years old. 17 She wasn't even considered old enough to come here and prepare for ministry, but God called her to be an evangelist and itinerant preacher to the peoples of her country in China. And she left her home behind with little money and little food and no plan except reliance on the Holy Spirit. She didn't even yet own a Bible, and she began to go from village to village preaching the name of Jesus. And God powerfully blessed her ministry. By the age of 30, she spent seven months in prison for her evangelization work and distributing Bibles illegally. While in prison, she was tortured so severely that get this, her pain was so intense that for 15 days, she was unable to move, to eat, to relieve herself in the bucket in her cell. For 15 days, she lay unable to move. And God sustained her with the food of obedience. When she was released, she says this to some of the other believers. She said, I know I couldn't have made it without God's help and your prayer support. Believe me, there were many days when I didn't think I could go on, but God was faithful to always remind me of his love during those times. While I was there, I couldn't dwell on anything but my complete dependence on God, and that dependence forced me closer to him. 15 days in such severe pain that she couldn't move, and all she could think about was her dependence on God and his love for her. That is a food I do not know yet. Like Ling, the disciples would one day suffer for the cause of evangelization and they needed to be prepared by learning to feast on this food of sacrificial obedience in the same way that Jesus understood it. In verse 35, he says to them, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Hearts of fire, leave, go, and testify. So that the Savior of the world may stay with the peoples of the world. This harvest of souls that the disciples were able to witness there as the Samaritan village came streaming up to Jesus was worth whatever discomfort or suffering might be involved in speaking the words over that woman. In the same way, the harvest was ready then, the harvest is now. And if you've paid attention at all this week, then you know that the harvest is bigger than us, and it is bigger than here. And when I say us, I don't just mean at IWU. I mean in America. When I say here, I don't just mean on this campus. I mean here. Whatever your here is, friends, the harvest is outside of it. Not just in it. The Samaritans understood themselves to be completely separate from Judaism. They were not in the in club with Jews, in the same way that that the Jews were not in their in club. Samaria was not a Jewish man's here. And so when this Jewish Messiah, Speaks living words over this people and they receive him as their Messiah. The Samaritans knew the implications of that. He is here to save the whole world, not just us, not just here. The call is implicit here, which is explicit in Luke 10, verses 2 to 3. And these are the words of Scripture that affirmed Ling's call in China when she was 17. Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. The Samaritan woman did not try to hold in the word that burned in her heart. She could not. She did not try to contain the flames in her bones because she could not. She left the water jug behind and she ran. She left behind whatever shame from her past may have kept her in hiding. She left behind her fear of crossing cultural norm boundaries. As a woman, the text says that she testifies, a woman's testimony was not even considered worth anything in that context in that day. But she crossed those barriers, she left her fears behind, and she spoke. And the harvest was waiting and the food that she was able to enjoy. Do you know that food? Have you ever tasted it? Even just an appetizer? Because here's the reality. Many of us may never be called to lay down our physical lives or to suffer in prison for the sake of the gospel, but we may. But I'm not even talking about are you willing to do that this morning? I'm asking you, are you willing to lay down a little bit of your comfort, or a little bit of your privilege, or a little bit of your time? When I was a student here, I thought I was the busiest person I would ever be in my life. I found out that's not true. If you are willing to lay down your time for the sake of the mission now, you will not lay it down then. The disciples needed to witness this because one day they would be asked to follow in the path of their Savior and suffer as the first leaders of the early church as it began its globalization, evangelization work. The heart of Jesus, the living word, still burns to abide by his Holy Spirit with all peoples of the world. But reality check, there's still over 3 billion people out there who have never been reached with the gospel. Whose hearts will burn for them? Whose heart of fire will leave it all behind and go and speak for them? The harvest is ripe, it's ready, it's now. We all have a part to play. We are all called to leave and go in some way. I don't want to over-spiritualize it because I am confident that God's asking people to leave and go geographically, but he might be asking to leave and go in another sense, but no matter how it looks, he's asking you to speak that you might be used for the sake of the harvest. How is God calling you to drop the fork, to leave behind any familiar comforts, agendas, possessions, mindsets, or ways of life which slow you down from sharing the message of Jesus with the world? What is he asking of you? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, he is asking you to do something by his spirit in this moment. What do you need to leave behind that would hold you back or slow you down from sharing the word of Jesus with others? You may not be asked to join Ling in the underground church, but all of us are asked to give something up for the sake of the mission. To whom is Jesus calling you to go to share the news of Jesus? Whether across this campus, across the city of Marion, or across an ocean, are you willing to drop the fork and go that you might become a heart of fire? How might God ask you to learn from and prayerfully support the hearts of fire in the underground church who live on the food of sacrificial obedience in a way we may never understand for the sake of a mission? As you came in to chapel, I have a pocket here somewhere and there's a fork in it. There it is. As you came into chapel, you were given one of these. For some of you this morning, this is just going to be something that you take away as a physical reminder that at some point, in some way, God's going to ask you to leave and to go and to speak. For others of you, I know reality, these will end up in some trash cans, not even outside of this building. And if that's you, my hope is that every time you go to Baldwin and you pick up a fork, God's going to bring this message to your mind and you won't be able to escape it. But there's another group in this room this morning that this is about to get real, real. Because you know that God is speaking, he is stirring, he is burning in your heart and in your bones, that he is asking you to leave behind the comfort of the familiar of your home country and your home culture and to be willing to cross an ocean to speak the word to someone who needs to hear it to know that there's an answer to all of their questions, that the one that they've been looking for wants to speak with them and stay with them by His Spirit. Maybe it's to be a long-term missionary. There's gonna be representatives of Global Partners, the organization I serve with at the talk back session after chapel, chat with them. Maybe it's to take business as mission overseas. Maybe it's as simple as right now, you know that God's just asking you to explore this. Maybe it's to go on a a global um, serving project. I forgot the name of it, but you know what I'm talking about through the university. Or or maybe it's to look into studying abroad somewhere just to get a taste of what it might be like to drop the fork and go. So here's my challenge to you this morning. The Global Engagement Office is gonna have a table set up outside of Baldwin today. And they have a basket ready that if you know that God's asking you to surrender and say, I'll go, here I am, send me, I'll leave behind my agenda, I'll leave behind my comfort, I'll go, you can go to that table and you can drop your fork and you can give them your details and they will follow up with you and help you figure out what it looks like to begin to live on the food of obedience. Leave and go. Let obedience be your food. The harvest is now. Let the word burn in your heart and speak. Drop the fork.